Welcome to this week's edition of the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Don Mills. Well, Don, this week we have another uh, exciting interview with with a, an important entrepreneur in New Brunswick, Jean-Claude Savoie, the CEO, uh, the founder of, uh, of uh, uh, Group Savoie, a major forest products company located in northwestern New Brunswick, but that has operations in Moncton and operations in Nova Scotia. So a very interesting conversation today uh, with Jean-Claude. Yeah, I'm very happy to profile uh, this company. Uh, it's a company that's pretty well known within New Brunswick, obviously. Um, it's run by a, 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 an Acadian a francophone. Um, uh, very successful. Um, they've got 600 employees. Uh, their payroll is uh, north of $30 million a year. So that is a big contribution to um, the economy, especially in St. Quentin, where he's, uh, he's mainly located. Um, and it's a great story. You know, it's why we want to tell these stories. There's so many, you know, entrepreneurs working uh, sort of unknown uh, that deserve to have some recognition, not just for the jobs they create, but the, the value that they bring to their communities. You know, and here we have a company that's doing $150 million in revenue every year that virtually nobody's heard about, you know, has 600 employees. And, uh, you know, he said something that I thought was really important for rural communities. He has 90 immigrants working for his company. Those, uh, those immigrants, in combination with their families, have increased the population by 200 people. That's 10% of the population of St. Quentin, imagine. And, and guess what? It's saving the schools. It's saving the schools in that community because uh, those families bring young kids with them. And, and so, you know, there's, there's a good example of uh, not just the importance of having a, a, a successful company in these rural areas, but the, the importance of bringing immigrants and, and population growth to those communities, um, you know, because of the labor shortages that are everywhere. And so that is, I think, one of the, you know, really important uh, parts of the story uh, that, that, that we talked to Jean-Claude about. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And he mentioned one example of a spouse that was set up a little bakery in the community. So there's, there's all of these sort of benefits of having a newcomer population. And just as you say, to put that into perspective, uh, imagine 10%. Imagine, imagine, imagine. Halifax is, I mean, Halifax is 400,000, right? So imagine you plot yeah. 40,000 new immigrants down in one in one uh, swoop into Halifax. So yeah, very, very uh, exciting for the community. Lots of uh, lots of challenges, but also opportunities. I like the fact that his business is so aligned with some other major employers in the region. He started his pallet business because of uh, doing work with McCain's. So it's nice to see those cross company synergies. Now they're, they're, they're building pallets for Cook, Cook uh, Aquaculture and other major employers employers in the region. And I thought something close, close to your heart, uh, Don, uh, a very good succession planning with, uh, with, mm. with his family and making sure it gets passed on effectively to the next generation. Well, you know, I thought I had a long plan. I started 10 years before it actually happened, not intentionally, but that's when I started. You know, he started 20 years ago by putting a family trust in place, which is what you do when you're transferring to other family members. So, you know, this has always been a long-term plan. It sounds like he's in great position to have it transferred to his uh, daughter and uh, son-in-law. And, uh, and that's in fact, uh, effectively in place now. So not easy to do. Uh, and sounds like it's been uh, pretty well planned from his point of view. So, you know, uh, you know th th again, this is a message that I wanna keep repeating for all the people of an age <laughs> where they have to think about transitions, like, you know, don't leave it to the last minute. It's not, it's, it's not going to increase the, uh, the uh, value of the business, nor is it going to increase the, you know, the ease of transfer. You have to think about this. You have to, you have to start getting some tax advice well in advance. You have to prepare the people uh, who may be taking over the business. You've, you know, there's lots of things that, that need to be done and you can't do that in a short-term frame and be successful. Unless somebody comes in and scoops your company up, uh, you know, out of the blue, you know, that's not planning. That's just good luck. You know, otherwise you, you need to spend some time on it. And I would encourage anybody who's at that uh, time of their career, you know, to give some thought to it and, um, you know, do it the right way because you're, you're going to be much happier uh, with the result if you do that. 
makes a lot of sense. And the only last point I would make here is because it's the forestry uh, and crown land, uh, he has quite mm. a bit to say about the role of government and uh, or and and trying to keep politics out of certain decisions and thinking long term and sustainability around the forest. So I think the listeners will appreciate his comments on that front. Yeah, let me just add to that because I, you know, I've I've done a ton of work in the forestry industry over the years. Uh, you know, I know the challenges. There, you know, there's a public perception uh, which is incorrect that you know the the floor the forest in in this region are being depleted and there won't be any uh, soon won't be any left. That's not the case at all. Uh, you know, people have problems with clear cuts. I understand that they're not very pretty and uh you know it's uh it, it, it you know, those practices uh, need to be challenges for, for sure but you know um uh i know for certain in new brunswick that uh, on the crown lands less than two percent are being cut every year now if you believe that trees regrow in 40 or 50 years it means that you know at that rate they'll never run out of forest in new brunswick never and uh, as long as they keep to that rate, uh, there's going to be uh, forest forever. But, you know, a lot of people don't understand forest management practices. Um, certainly the issue of clear cutting is a controversial one, as you know. And, you know, people have opinions on both sides about the efficiency of that. But if, you, if you're treating forest like a harvest and there are some, some needs to do that and you're trying to get a certain kind of tree to grow for certain purposes, it is like a crop. The only difference is, is that crop takes 40 or 50 years to uh, grow uh, to a point where it could be harvested. And, and so, you know, the forestry is very important in New Brunswick. It's also important uh, in, in Nova Scotia, not to the same degree, obviously. But, you know, we need to educate ourselves to, to how uh, sustainable forestry actually works and, and, and make sure the practices are being done at a high level. Uh, for the most part, they are in Atlantic Canada, and, and people need to educate themselves a little bit more on this topic. Absolutely. It's all about choices. So there's a plaque. If you go to if you go to Western Prince Edward Island, there's a plaque that says, when the settlers first arrived, the island was entirely covered in trees. But right. they determined that the soil was great for agriculture, and they cut down all, most of the trees, not all, but most of the trees, and they turned the land into agriculture land. And that was a choice that they made. New Brunswick, the land isn't as fertile, so it's it's better for forestry. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the, the sustainability of that forestry has to do with planning properly. And as you indicated, the way it's being done right now is, is pretty good in New Brunswick. Probably not perfect, but pretty good. So without any further ado, here is our conversation with uh, Jean-Claude Savoie of Group Savoie. Jean-Claude, uh, thanks for joining us on the Insights Podcast uh, and telling us about uh, your company. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll get uh, a million in. Yeah, well, you know, um, we're trying to tell the stories of entrepreneurs like yourself. Uh, you know, we've done uh, quite a few to date, um, and, and, and your story is not as well known uh, out, outside of uh, New Brunswick, obviously. So we'd like you to maybe um, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know, kind of you, you've been in business, I believe, since uh, 1978, uh, yeah. and you got into business originally, I, I think, with your dad, Hector. Uh, tell us about the, you know, the beginnings of the company and your role over over that time. Okay. Uh, we, uh, I was a school teacher before getting into this uh, business. I was teaching here at the local school, high school, chemistry, physics, stuff like that. And my father was a sawmill manager. He had been working in the woods well, all his life, but the sawmill manager maybe for 20, 25 years. And he had always dreamt of uh, owning his own mill. Uh, the mill he was managing uh, was built in 63. And uh, he built it. He, he dismantled a used sawmill in Woodstock, moved it to St. Quentin, and rebuilt it for a company called Southampton Contractors from uh, Nackwick, uh, the Corys, Corys family. And uh, so anyway, he ran it for uh, from 63 to 78. And he had talked to the owners about possibly buying it because the owner was getting uh, up in age. And uh, of course, he had no money, uh, not much anyway. <laughs> and uh, but uh, in the meantime, a neighbor, actually a cousin of his, had a 
small shingle mill where we are today, where we are located today, I had a small shingle mill and he, he got sick and he started talking about selling. And he also had started to build a small sawmill next to it. So my father met him and he agreed on a price and they start, my father started looking at financing, but of course uh, you need uh, some cash to, to, to get the financing. So we, we sat down together and started uh, making plans and maybe dreaming. And uh, eventually I came up with the idea that if I mortgage my house and if he mortgages his house, we'd get 25,000 bucks as a cash down. And uh, that's what we did. So that was 10% of the purchase price. We borrowed 25,000 and then borrowed the rest again from the same bank and um, started that way in 78. So I quit my teaching job. And at the same time, he was still managing the other sawmill which was about a quarter mile from here. So I, I came to the shingle mill, ran that for a, a little while. And uh, we started tinkering with the sawmill the, the previous owner had uh, started to build. We finished uh, building it and started uh, sawing uh, different stuff in like pine and softwood and cedar. Anyway, worked, modified it a little bit to be able to use it because it, it was not ready to operate when we bought it. And then uh, two years later, 1980, well, oh, okay, let's can come back to how we got the second mill because that summer we bought two sawmills with uh, not a penny in our pocket. Uh, after the owner of the other sawmill saw that he was, he, owned, he had owned, he had bought a, a mill, he decided, well, maybe it's time to sell. So they sat down with my father and uh, kind of, uh, admitted that he had equity in that company. So that equity went for the down payment and we bought the second sawmill. So we ended up with two mills and that sawmill also had the shingle mill. So we had two shingle mills and a hardwood sawmill and a small, very small sawmill on the side. That was a kind of a daring start. Then uh, two years later, 1980, 4th of July, the big sawmill, the, the hardwood mill that my father used to manage before we went in business, burned to the ground. And of course, in the two years we had operated, we didn't <laughs> amass a, a whole amount of cash. So not too long afterwards, they, well, the insurance covered what we owed for a mortgage, but they didn't cover you know, operating expenses and all the rest. So the bank came knocking and wanted their line of credit back. Of course, we didn't have the money to pay them. And uh, so they wanted the keys to the, the mill and said, well, we'll have to have an auction and sell everything at auction. I, I, I knew the, uh, the lawyer because I was in school with him. And my father knew the accountant for the bank because he had been in the Richelieu with the accountant. And uh, we sat down and said, well, is there another way? Is there some out? Is there another way than having an auction to, to settle that debt? Because an auction, you know, everything is given away. It's not sold, it's just given away. Uh, <clears throat> one of the two said, well, there's always the possibility that if you sell the inventory at the real cost, take the money and give it to the bank, eventually you may be able to pay repay the bank back. So that's what we did. We sold the inventory, paid the bank. We were left with a, a sawmill. <laughs> Two shingle mills and a small sawmill, but with no money to operate. That was 1980 when the interest rates were way up. So, uh, and I was a good friend with the bank manager and, and he suggested, well, he said, the only way you can restart is if you get a loan guarantee from the, from the government. So we applied for that. And, uh, of course got refused and, uh, <laughs> uh, there again, uh, politics uh, play a role, plays a role in everything. My father knew one of the board members, uh, the appeal board, because we went into a to appeal. My father knew one of the guys, uh, talked to him, said, okay, well, let me look into it. We went to the appeal and they agreed to lend us, uh, to have a, give us a loan guarantee to, to make us, uh, so we could restart again. That was 81. So we restarted in 81. 
And we never, never got back after that. So we, every penny we made traveled back in the company, added all kinds of value added, all kinds of new equipment with every penny we made the profit went back in the company. So that's how we got started. Rough start, but <laughs> it worked. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> getting in getting in the business is not easy, obviously. Not many people succeed after even a few years. So, you know, going through the hard times probably helped you long term, obviously. But can you tell us a little bit more about Group Savoie, maybe the kind of the various businesses that you're currently in and where you're located in, in the Maritimes? Okay. Uh, well, when we started, we were just a sawmill and a shingle mill. So we were sawing hardwood. It was hardwood, always hardwood. We sawed a little bit pine, elf pine and softwood at, at, at the start, but we quit that. But it's not the same markets. It's not the same technology. So we were 100% uh, in hardwood and also had a, a cedar shingle mill uh, next to it. And sending uh, our uh, lumber to furniture manufacturers, flooring manufacturers, uh, pallet manufacturers, all over the place. And I remember my father saying, you know, quite often, it's too bad we don't, we can't do nothing with that wood. We have to just ship it after it's, uh, it's out of the mill. And, and anyway, that got me into uh, uh, thinking that maybe we could do more with that wood. So we said the easiest path to take is to go to uh, uh, cheap wood like pallet wood. It doesn't have to go through a kiln. So we started that. We started uh, selling cut to length pallet wood. Of course, the next uh, step was uh, get putting nails in that wood and manufacturing pallets, which uh, our friends from McCain got me into. Got a call one day from the guy at McCain's in charge of the warehouse. He says, uh, we need some repair wood to uh, repair our pallets. And uh, can you do that? I said, yeah, we can sell you repair material. Well, we sent him a few loads. He called again and said, well, we need new pallets. Can you nail pallets? I said, oh, well, that's, we didn't, never did that, but uh, we'll look into it. So I located some used equipment in, the, in uh, Madawaska, in, in Edmondson, and agreed on a price, bought it pretty cheap because uh, the guy was not in two pallets anymore. So anyway, we bought a few nailers uh, because uh, you need basically a couple of, pieces of equipment to produce pallet wood, an notcher to make the notch and a chamferer to chamfer the, the bottom boards. We bought that, set it up, and we were in the pallet business. So that, that, that's one step. I mean, it's it, you see a pattern there. It's, it's customer-driven. McCain asked us, you know, if we could make pallets. A few years later, some people from Germany came over and uh, and were looking to buy maple to replace uh, tropical woods because uh, environmentalists were after them to stop using uh, tropical woods. And they had identified uh, maple. And when we, I suppose they talked to somebody in government, they said, well, go see these guys who produce maple. So they came here and we sat down and started making plans to uh, produce wood for them. But uh, to produce wood for furniture, it's got to be dried. It's got, you know, it, just, it involves quite a few processes. So we turned to uh, COA to uh, see if we could get money to build some kilns and a boiler for steam. That was the first step. And after we had the kilns, we could dry wood. Then we build a, a component plant where we could take our lumber, cut it up in small pieces to produce uh, components for that company. But that never, that never happened because before we could start producing for them, the uh, German government uh, gave, offered them a big plant in Eastern Germany that they decided to uh, invest in instead of investing with us here in, uh, in Canada. So that customer disappeared, but we had quite a bit of a, we had learned quite a bit in the process. And we had also visited Germany and had, we had seen that there was a keen interest in Germany for uh, maple, for flowing. So that's what we started doing. Little pieces of wood that over there they would, they would cut into uh, five, ten uh, 
layers that they would glue onto a laminate flooring. So we produced that for quite a few years and, and tons of it, tons and tons of it. And of course, uh, since we had very good quality, the, the customers over there started calling <clears throat> up to a point where we, we had to refuse orders. I mean, uh, it, it was doing very well. But then uh, Eastern European hardwoods came into play, got in the way, prices went way down, so that business just kind of fizzled away. Uh, but <laughs> having having done all of that and having having been a, a good supplier to German companies, there was a company in in Winnipeg producing kitchen cabinets that was owned by Germans, and they knew these other people in Germany, and they got to talk to one another, and we, we, we found out that we were a good maple producer. So they contacted us and we started making kitchen cabinet components for these guys in Winnipeg. Mm. Then these guys bought out, got bought out by uh, the, the biggest kitchen cabinet company in the US, Master Brand. And they had other plants to supply. So we started supplying birch to, the, to other plants in the US. So now we have uh, a very large part of our business is a kitchen cabinet components for that giant there in the US. So that's just one one stream of products. We have uh, also we're very big in pallets. I, I told you uh, earlier that we started making pallets. That got into uh, uh, that, that's I think that's about sixty percent of our business today is pallets. We also they, they, these people they, they buy pallets, but they also buy a lot of pallet repair wood because these pallets get repaired. They're recycled all the time. So that's a big, uh, you know, cash, <laughs> a big cash cow for us, uh, repair wood for uh, use the blue pallets. And other, other people repair pallets too, but that's the biggest one. We have, uh, maybe to give you a little idea what we have, we have uh, three sawmills, one here, uh, two here in St. Quentin, one regular sawmill for hardwood lumber for furniture or flooring or kitchen cabinets. The other sawmill is a, we saw four foot pulp wood or smaller logs. And all that wood goes into pallets. And we also have a sawmill in Nova Scotia in Westville that uh, produces regular hardwood lumber that we ship here and transform into all kinds of different products. That's the three sawmills. We have uh, a pellet plant, we make pellets out of uh, sawdust and shavings and whatever comes out of the uh, other products we make, uh, a byproduct, I guess you can call it. We also have a component plant in St. Quentin where we take dried, uh, dried uh, lumber and cut it up into smaller pieces for kitchen cabinets mostly. And also a plant in Kedgwick where we take these little pieces of wood. We take a little piece of uh, maple and yellow birch and put them through molders, tenoners, uh, whatever, to give them the, the finished shape to go into a kitchen cabinet. And a, a big pallet plant here in St. Quentin where uh, we, we nail uh, over a million pallets a year. Plus another smaller pallet plant in Moncton where we repair pallets and manufacture new ones. I think I've gone around uh, I, I think I think that's it for for the different. Uh, well, that's a, that's a that's a big operation. How many employees uh, do you have? Uh, uh, one time at one time we went to six fifty, uh, but what we're trying on a daily basis is try to reduce that by automation, rob robots, uh, whatever means we can find to minimize the, the need for more employees because we're, we've hit the bottom of the barrel. We, we can't get any more. Well, we can, we cannot get enough people. Right. And, um, uh, do you, do you have a, can you give us an idea of, uh, what, how much payroll that might represent in total? Uh, my God, I, I took a note this morning. 30 some million, I think. 33 or something like that. 33 million. Do I have, know that? <laughs> I have this by That's numbers. What, what number that question is? It's uh, it would be our second question, actually. 
Second, okay, one, two, blah, 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 blah. yeah, 33 million. Yeah, and, and, and I think I, I, I remember I, David, when you did your study, uh, your study showed that 49% of the active population in St. Quentin worked for us, and it's probably the same or possibly more than 50% of the active population works for us. So are you also the mayor of St. Quentin? Uh, my son-in-law's mother. <laughs> well, my daughter, my daughter's mother-in-law. <laughs> okay, uh, I, I noticed in um, on your website you you really made a point of of, of talking about how the company is supporting the, su the supply chain in New Brunswick. Can you give us some examples of how your company is are are helping other companies in in New Brunswick? Uh. Well, you mentioned Cook earlier. We sell pallets to Cook. We sell pallets to uh, uh, packaging in Moncton there, the Irving Company. I forget the, the name of the company. We sell mm -hmm. pallets to a whole bunch of companies, uh, McCain's. We uh, employ uh, trucking firms. There's a big trucking firm here that works almost exclusively for us. It's uh, trucking chips, uh, sawdust, bark. We buy an awful lot of parts from different suppliers. Uh, like these big loaders we have in the yard, they cost them a million bucks each. We have five or six of them. Uh, they, they, they're bought by, from uh, companies in New Brunswick. Uh, my God, there's all kinds of stuff. Uh, we have about 150 million in sales and, and most of that goes to buy stuff. <laughs> we buy uh, logs from Ir Irving's. We buy logs you know, for a whole bunch of producers, uh, small wood log producers too. Uh, I think we have an yeah. impact. You yeah. must be a big customer for uh, for NB Power. Uh, it's a little bit. I think it's over near three million. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so Jean Claude, we wanted to ask you about your workforce. Um, um, you know, a lot of companies are struggling to find workers now because, uh, um, particularly in rural areas, people are getting older, they're retiring, there's not enough young yeah. people. And companies are attracting more and more immigrants, but not as much in rural areas. Now, McCain's has done some, and we know you have had some success. Can you tell us a little bit about your success attracting immigrants uh, to St. Quentin and the area? Yeah, it started uh, a few years ago. My daughter was in charge of that uh, department, and uh, she went on, on, on different missions with the government. Like she went to Ukraine three times, I think, to Morocco, Peru, Mexico, uh, maybe somewhere else that I forget. But anyway, uh, out of these uh, missions, well, when they go there, they have meetings, they meet you know, all kinds of people that want to get out of those countries and come here. So they, they make a list, and when they come back here, they, they go through the list and uh, make offers to some of these people. So uh, over the years, we've, we've attracted quite a few. At, at this moment, we have pretty close to 90 immigrants working for us. Hmm. Of course, that's causing all kinds of problems with uh, housing. Uh, that's helping the schools because uh, these, these people have kids that go to school. So we have about like 90 people would be me, 200, over 200 uh, new uh, people living in the area, St. Clinton and Kedrick. So that increases the number of kids in the schools because the number of kids in the schools were going down and we were afraid to, you know, to lose some uh, services in the school. So that, that's helping quite a bit. <clears throat> so and it's also being another way by uh, uh, bringing uh, different cultures into the area. I mean, we're St. Quentin, Kedgwick, everybody was white, uh, French or English, or mostly Catholic, and <laughs> and that's changing. Uh, and, and the kids in school, you know, they get to meet people from different countries, different cultures. So mm -hmm. it's helping uh, everybody. So has that been mostly positive, Jean Claude, or, or are some of the some people uh, pushing I would say, back? I would say, yeah, well, there's a little bit of pushback, but we don't hear much. Well, it, you see that on Facebook mostly, or places where people can do it anonymously. But uh, no, in town, uh, they're, they're pretty much accepted. Uh, a, a nice uh, Ukrainian uh, lady. Uh, my daughter got married last summer, and her wedding cake was made by. Uh, 
one uh, Ukrainian uh, pastry chef. She's she's very good. She makes very nice pastry. So anyway, that's mm. a, a welcome addition. Yes. So are, how about French? Are they are they learning French? Are the kids learning French in school? Uh, it's easier for the kids because they go to school all day with, with kids and play. The, the kids learn much more easily. Uh, the adults, uh, some speak English, so they make do with uh, the limited. Uh, some of our uh, employees have uh, limited uh, success in English, so but they manage to uh, communicate. But uh, also, the schools are giving French lessons to uh, the newer arrivals. So anyway, they're, they're adapting. And what? Where do they live, Jean Claude? Are they? Are they? Are, are they converting old motels, or what? Where? Where are these? Uh, ninety? We don't, we're not there. Live? We're not there yet. Uh, we've bought, I think, twelve or fourteen different homes. We bought, and, and some of them, or most of them, have more than one apartment. And uh, we we just built four mini homes for for uh, immigrants that were they're going to be moving in at the end of the month. And we're planning more. And, and there's a big uh, push with the, the government has identified four different companies to go on a pilot project. We were in Ottawa last week to meet with the uh, federal minister. Of, I forget what his, his uh, role or what, what minister. Anyway, they, they, uh, they went there and they were promised uh, help in, into uh, uh, infrastructure. And because uh, the problem with the building homes here in a place like this is you have to build a street, the, the sewers, the water, uh, everything's got to be built and it costs a fortune. So they're going to be helping with that. And I think we're looking at the project of building 60 some apartments. 60 some apartments, okay. Yeah. Okay. And Irving is also involved. There's somebody from, uh, uh, who else? There's four companies in there. I forget the names. Alain told me yesterday and I forget. Right. But it's a pilot project for, for four different uh, communities. Yeah, so Don and I have been talking a lot and thinking a lot about housing, the challenges we've had across all of the region, but certainly in rural areas, it, it's even more of a problem, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge, but up to now, we, we manage. Do you have even the companies, the construction companies that build out in, the, in your area? Uh, there's been a few construction, uh, but the problem uh, they're facing is if they want to develop a piece of land, they have, like I said, the infrastructure cost. They were telling me the other day in a meeting that it costs a thousand bucks a foot to build a street. So if you have a lot that's uh, 50, 000, 50 feet wide, it's 50,000 bucks. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. you can't sell a lot in St. Quentin for 50,000 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I just want to ask you one other question about your workforce because you do you are a major employer, you know you employ half the, half of the the population almost. Um, it, are there other things you do? Do you do you go into the schools and promote your company? Do you ha, ha, like, oh, yeah, in the long a, run how are you going to sustain three and four yeah, hundred yeah, employees? We, in we that work area? work closely with the schools. Uh, we have kids come to work for a few hours after school. Uh, we, we just put a new gym in the, in the school, in the high school for, uh, for the townspeople and, and our employees get to use it for free. Hmm. Uh, you know, we do, we do, well, I can tell you everything we do, but we, we, uh, go to community college, we go to universities, we, uh, wherever we try and try and, and get the kids interested to move back in the country because what happens, kids go to school in, in towns and they stay there. Yeah. They don't come back. Okay, so I'll turn yeah. it back to Don. Yeah, the, yeah, the forest product uh, industry is responsible for a larger share of the provincial economy in New Brunswick than other provinces across, the, uh, across Canada and by a wide margin. Over 80% of communities have companies directly involved in the industry, and all communities benefit from the industry. You know, one of the one of the, I, I did a lot of work with uh, JDI over the years, and one of the things that they were always combating was you know negative public uh, perception about you know using the woods too much and the forest too much. Um, uh, obviously, there's a lot of forest in New Brunswick, but are there are there things that the government should be doing that would help uh, with your help your industry. 
Well, what I, <laughs> my answer to that, I've been asked that many times, and my answer, my first answer, uh, the short answer is get keep politics out of forestry. Hmm. But that's uh, <laughs> that's a long yeah. shot. Uh, politicians are always tempted to uh, use their powers to favor whoever they, they like more than, you know. Uh, yeah. If they like you, you get what you ask for. If they don't like you, well, somebody else will get it. So mm -hmm. politics has been uh, a big problem in, in forestry. Um, mm -hmm. they, it, they could help if they put their shoulder at the wheel and, and pushed in the right direction. They do sometimes. I have to give them that. Uh, like uh, the... the, the, the what they call the Forestry Act of 1980 or 82 that gave uh, mills allocations. You know, before that date, if you wanted to cut a tree in the woods, you had to go ask Irving or Fraser's or IP because they control 100% of the province. Even though it was crown land, nobody could cut there unless they had their permission. And uh, Bud Bird, uh, every time I meet him, I, I, <laughs> I tell him that he, he's a savior. He introduced that law that gave mills a, a definite allocation guaranteed by law. Like if I know I'm going to get 50,000 cubic feet of wood next year, I know what, what I need to invest to use that wood. Before, you couldn't do that. So that sometimes, like I said, like sometimes politics help. But other times, uh, one thing that happened over the years, I'll take an example, the maple uh, syrup industry. We're barking up the same tree. <laughs> and uh, few, quite a few years ago, we had meetings with the uh, maple syrup industry, government, and uh, the, the uh, sawmill industry, sawmilling industry, to try and decide and have an agreement on, on where we'd go with that. At the time, government was giving leases for maple syrup without knowing how much wood or how much maple they had to give. We, we were just making blank checks from the account, but not knowing what was in the account. So anyway, at those meetings, they agreed to do an inventory before giving any more maple trees away for tapping. But they never did the inventory. Government changed and the promise just went down the drain. But that what happened that in those meetings is that we agreed, the three parties agreed that what they wanted to do is build a bottling plant in St. Quentin to bottle maple syrup. And they said they were going to need 1 million taps to do that. So everybody agreed, okay, government, give, a, give them 1 million taps and we'll, we'll, we won't, we won't uh, bitch anymore. You know, you do that and everybody's going to be happy. But as you know, the next election came, the new minister came in power and the maple syrup industry started lobbying and they gave the, ma the maple syrup guys some more taps and then some more taps and now they have double what they first asked for they asked for like they, they calculated that you needed 7,000 hectares to produce that many taps today they have 14,000 hectares twice what we had agreed to and they're still asking for more and what's going to happen in the next couple of years is if not this year government is telling us that they will have to reduce our allocation because over the years, we've cut too much wood. So what does that mean? If we don't cut as much wood as we did last year, we have to either slow, shut down a shift in the mill or switch to something else. But we don't know what to switch to. I mean, we can't cut uh, telephone poles and start sawing that. So that's creating a bit of a problem for the sawmilling industry. Having people, the government, politicians, stuck with having to decide what to do with the maple trees. Give them to the maple syrup industry or keep them in the forest for salmon. So that, that's a big uh, issue. That's a big problem for us because if they cut our allocation, there, there's no other choice. We'll have to uh, either buy the lumber somewhere else to supply our customers or tell our customers, well, we, we only have this much to sell you this year and that's it. And close the right. People are going to be jobs. Yeah, <clears throat> one of the things that, uh, that uh, like I know a little bit about the forestry industry, but, you know, uh, 
the sustainability of the forest is, is the issue that the public looks at. They, they, they worry that, you know, it's all going to be cut down. There won't be any trees left anywhere. You know, um, as I understand it, that, you know, there's less than 2% of crown lands being cut every year, which would mean that you would never run out of forest because yeah. the forest would always regenerate over the 50 years that it would take to use it up. So, but, but so most people don't understand the, you know, the forest management um, practices, I guess. And, and obviously that causes, uh, you know, people like you to, to be challenged by, by not having the right information. Right. And uh, so. Give you, give you an, an anecdote uh, regarding, <laughs> that would, that will show you what people think. Uh, in Nova Scotia, before we built the mill there, uh, my father used to work with a guy that lives in uh, New Glasgow, which is right next door to Westville. And uh, so I went to see that guy. He, he used to be in the hardwood sawmilling in, in Nova Scotia. And he worked for the same company my father worked for. It. So I went to see him and I asked, you know, where do you think I should, uh, would be the best place to build a hardwood mill in Nova Scotia? And his answer was, you can't build a mill in Nova Scotia. We've, we've cut it all. There's no more wood left. <laughs> that was his answer. <laughs> so that's 20 years ago. And we, we've saw, I don't know, 20, I'd say like 10 million a year times 20. That's 200 million board feet of lumber since then. So they cut it all, but there's still a whole bunch left. So people, that's yeah. the idea people have. After you cut the tree down, there's none left. They, yeah. These things grow back, but people forget that. Yeah, that, I think that that's an you know uh, we were always trying to help with the communications with JDI to give people simple messages so they understood <clears throat> that you know the forests were really re being pretty well managed and, and they and and they did it was like a harvest right and that they yeah, would yeah. eventually grow back. And, uh, so uh, I, I, you know, for example, I give if you want to bear with me for a second is uh, when you drive by a potato field. You know, a potato field is a clear cut. It's been right. cut, well, I don't know when, but it's a clear cut. And after they harvest potatoes, they plant new ones. And next year, you're going to have a new crop. The only difference in forestry, it takes 50 years or 40, 50, 60 years to get a new crop. It's the same damn thing. People don't understand that. Yeah, that's it, exactly. I, I just want to talk a little bit. Uh, you mentioned that uh, your wood pellet manufacturing facility in, in Westville. Um, uh, how long have you had that plant and, 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 and is... You know, tell us a little bit about that opportunity. Yeah, Nova Scotia, what we have there is just a regular hardwood sawmill. Uh, we looked at different times of uh, doing value added there. But the problem with Westville, Nova Scotia doesn't have the same system as New Brunswick of uh, giving allocations. Uh, it's a free for all. Every year we have to start from scratch and try and find enough logs. When the, the, pulp, the pulp mill in uh, New Glasgow was operating, they would cut a lot of hardwood and we would uh, get enough, you know, quite a, quite a good supply. But since they closed, the, the forest is still there, but we can't access the forest. So we've been asking the government for an allocation of some kind to, to, to make sure we get enough logs every year. So that, it's just a regular hardwood mill. We get whatever logs we can from private producers, uh, from uh, some of those big landowners, uh, like like that Northern, what's they call that uh, hardwood, uh, Northern hardwood. I think that mill is called now. Or, or I don't, mm. They still they still do a little bit of operation. We still get a bit of wood from them, but right. uh, it's, uh, there's some people on my team that, that that wants to put the key in that door. But I mean, there's 40 people working there. And uh, even if they don't work year-round, they still earn a living. So we're trying yeah. to get the government to see that. And hopefully uh, the, uh, the premier is from that writing. And uh, we have a friend that knows him and he's arranging a meeting with him. So we're trying to, <laughs> to sit down. And But I tell you, I've met every premier in that province and every minister of uh, natural resources. And we're not there yet. But we're still trying. Oh. <laughs> so um, I wanted to ask you 
if you have any other opportunities that you're looking at, you told us earlier, you've got facilities in Moncton, you've got facilities in Nova Scotia. We've got quite a, quite a broad footprint. Are there other things that you could share with us that you're looking at uh, in the future? Uh, we're trying to, well, uh, new ideas uh, has come up. Uh, my son-in-law is, uh, in charge of, uh, how can I say that? Uh, trying to look for the, he works a lot with Matt, Matt Sims with, uh, what do you call that there? The Simplicity Designs, the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's right. He works with Simplicity. And, and anyway, uh, Matt gives him a lot of books to read. And one of them is, is about, uh, having uh, synergies with uh, suppliers, uh, customers. And so we're looking at what we could do with, like we have a, for example, I'll give you an example, it may never happen and, and we haven't even talked to these people, but we have a large trucking firm that most of their work uh, they do is for us. So that could be a, a match to expand our business and, and maybe take that business to another level. Maybe you can do some trucking for somebody else. Uh, we have uh, a lot of people uh, work for us. Have kids. They don't have. A, they don't all have a, a place to uh, have their kids looked after when they work. So we could get into that business of uh, daycare or night care because some work nights. Uh, it's things like that that we've we started uh, kicking around. We don't know where it's going to end, where it's going to go, but uh, like we're thinking outside the box. Uh, we have a lot of people. Uh, work and uh, stay like uh, you need to eat at noon. So, uh, you know, they bring a lunch and why not maybe have something to do in the food business. Mm. We have a kind of a captive uh, audience here. Uh, things like that. We, we are not there yet, but we, we started kicking around those ideas. Okay. Um, I was reading about your focus on reducing your environmental impact. It seems to be quite a priority for the company. We understand you are following the Sustainable Forestry Initiative Standards, which is a North American initiative to promote best practices in environmental sustainability. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing in this area of environmental sustainability? Well, we're, we're following the guidelines very closely and, and I have to say that uh, when you work in the woods around St. Quentin, you're also a fisherman or a hunter, and you you you, you know you take great care of uh, your uh, playground. So uh, that's a priority for for you know all of these guys and my my woodland uh, manager, the guy who looks after uh, your contractors in the woods. He's a, he's on top of that all the time. We you know we. we we try to do the more than what we're asked to do to uh, make sure that uh, culverts are built properly, roads are properly built. Uh, there's all kinds of little things you can do to, to improve the life of these uh, critters that live in the woods. And we're also trying to get people to, to get off uh, oil eating and, and start burning pellets. <laughs> That's a, a self-interest, but uh, we've become aware of uh, the, the uh, it's cheaper and it's cleaner. And uh, since we've built the pellet plant, I, I, before building the pellet plant, we, I was not really aware of uh, all the advantages. But uh, after you know working around that uh, business for and going to meetings and listening to or reading articles about uh, clean. We need uh, that, that's uh, that's also something we're pushing very hard. We have a sister company that I'm 50%, the group is 50%, and also Compact Appliance from uh, Sadville is 50% owner called BSB Biomass Solution. It's called Biomass Solution. We, we sell boilers, we install boilers, we deliver pellets. We have a truck, the only truck in the runs it that can do that. You can deliver pellets to your silo. Uh, so that that's uh, something we're trying to uh, get people to accept more. It's coming. It's coming along. Uh, we have quite a few maple syrup producers. Instead of using oil, they use pellets now. So you know, they're, they're getting greener also. Uh, I wanted to ask you um, about 
uh, your family foundation that was named after your father, Hector. Uh, you know, like most uh, entrepreneurs, uh, you know, you give back to the community. Can you tell us a little bit about the focus of the foundation, the sort of causes that you're most interested in supporting, and a little bit of, about the work of the foundation? Yeah, when, when I, I started it, I, I, my aim was to help uh, sports, education, and uh, uh, health or wellness. And after not too long, we found out that we realized that there was not enough to go around all these things. So we focused on health, uh, health and schools. We, we uh, give quite a bit to schools to pay for uh, meals. But some kids go to school with no lunch and no money. So the school provides them with the lunch that we pay for. And we also uh, buy scooters, electric scooters for people that can't uh, walk. So we see scooters in St. Quentin, they're all over the place. And we brought quite a few. And also we pay uh, different expenses, medical expenses that are not covered by insurance. Like uh, if you go to Moncton for cancer treatment, uh, they won't pay for your gas, they won't pay for your restaurant or hotel or so we, we supply, uh, we pay part of these uh, expenses. Uh, if somebody needs a, a ramp to go up the, the steps at, the, at their home. Nobody pays for that. So the foundation pays for stuff like that. Uh, we had uh, all kinds of, uh, an elevator in the house. People needed to go upstairs and there was no other way. Uh, it's mostly health related, but the help we do. Right. You know, I'm, uh, I'm interested uh, that you started the company in 1978. That's actually the same year I started my company. I ran it for 40 years. And then um, I just uh, actually finished the transition of the sale to the senior uh, management group uh, in uh, the end of last uh, this past year. So uh, that's behind me. Uh, but I wanted to ask you about succession planning. Uh, have you have you given any consideration to that? Uh, obviously, you have uh, children involved in the business. You know, can you talk yeah, about that a little bit? Uh, the, the way I'm going is I'm moving away slowly. I'm now in the backseat. Eventually, I'll be in the trunk, but <laughs> I'll be in the, I'm in the back seat. So my daughter and my son-in-law are running the company now. I still have Alain Bossi, who's, who's, who's been president for quite a few years, and he's getting ready to retire in the next couple of years. So Jason, my son-in-law, will become the, the next president. And that's, that's all pretty well lined up. Uh, not much... Uh, to do there in succession, it's all it's all been taken care of. If I if I drop off the cart tomorrow, and you know, they still keep going. <laughs> well, you know, congratulations. It's not the easiest thing to do, as you know, and uh, mm -hmm. it does take some planning. And uh, you know, my experience is that there's a lot of business owners that I've talked to that you know they're not even thinking about it. They should be, but they're not thinking about it at all. And then uh, then one day they decide it's time, and it's you know you can't just do it overnight. It, it has to be. Has to be planned oh, yeah, over a period of time. We've right? been we've been working at it for my God. Uh, the first family trust uh, just just went over twenty one years old, so we started mm -hmm. over twenty years ago. So we have yep. an, we have another trust that started, I don't know, a few years ago anyway. Yep. Uh, um, so yeah, no, we, we I was aware of uh, the problems. My father worked for a company. That when the owner died, before he went for the Southampton contractors, he with the company he worked for, the owner died, gave everything to his son, and the son was not ready and drank it all, and and three years later the mill was done. Yeah, the mill was down. They sold the parts, and it just disappeared. That's when that was in 1960, 59-60, and three years later the Chamber of Commerce was looking for somebody to build a new mill in St. Quentin. That's where Southampton. Southampton contractors came in, and my father started working for them then. So uh, I kind of saw what poor planning can do. Right. And the town depended on that company, you know, and it just disappeared. Like for a few years here, was a ghost. it was a ghost town. Everybody was yeah. gone somewhere else. Right. So um, we wanted to end our conversation today, Jean-Claude, by asking you about the economy in northwestern New Brunswick. Of course, you're one of the largest employers 
not only in your community, but of course, across Restigouche, across the, all of Northwestern New Brunswick, um, you know, the region is facing a number of challenges. You know, people are getting older, they're retiring. There's not enough young people around and that's necessitating immigration and other things. I guess the question for you is how optimistic are you that, that the economy in the, in the area, not only St. Quentin, Kedgwick, but across Northwestern New Brunswick is going to thrive in the coming years. Do you see, do you think government's taking it seriously or community leaders taking it seriously? Are you optimistic about the future economy in that part of New Brunswick? Uh, well, right now the economy is heavily reliant on the forest. So I would assume one good way to keep the economy going in this part of the country is to take good care of the forest. Uh, if you manage the forest properly, it's always there. Uh, at one time, uh, the forestry industry was concentrated on big white pines for the naval industry. That disappeared because that was not managed properly. So I'm hoping that uh, with the new, uh, there's more scientists now involved in forestry. There's people that, that know what they're doing. Um, even though government is not always listening, uh, they're listening more and more. At least the civil servants know what they're doing. Sometimes the politicians will make them turn right when they won't turn left, but that's another problem. But uh, if, the, if the forest is taken care of, then it can attract tourists. We still, we, you know, we have a, a vibrant tourist uh, industry. It, it can probably be better. Uh, and the forest is there to attract them because uh, people like uh, to be in nature, like uh, outdoors. And probably more and more because the cities are getting uh, more dense. People want to get out of there. Uh, Father, I don't, I, I can't foretell, I can't, I can't foresee what mining is going to do. Mining is always a uh, boom and bust. I mean, uh, We've seen caribou mine here open and close, I don't know how many times since uh, I've been in business, uh, five, six, seven times. Uh, mining is, you can't manage mining, you dig a hole, take what's there, and then you're gone. So I don't see that as a future. There, It may happen, it may, we may get a gold mine somewhere, but it's gonna last as long as there's gold there, <laughs> it's gonna, gonna go. So, uh, and what, I don't see, I, I can't really tell because if I knew what would be good business, I'd maybe I'd get into it. <laughs> <laughs> do you, uh, do you think the area is going to continue to attract people or population? I mean, it's so important. You can't have industries. You can't have yeah. successful industries if you don't well, have to, people, to, if you don't yeah, have entrepreneurs. To, to grow uh, more industry in the area, we, we would need more people and we're struggling right now. So, uh, I'm not sure what uh, the solution is to that. It's uh, population is going to grow. That, that's a fact of life. I mean, uh, people have kids, and we have immigrants coming in all the time. Some countries, people don't want to live there; they come here. Uh, but will they stay in the smaller communities, or will they congregate to bigger towns? That's a big question. Yeah, it's one of the biggest challenges of our time, and it's one that Don and I have been doing a lot of thinking about. So we, we appreciate you coming on the podcast today to tell us about your company and, and, and uh, all of its successes and the things you're trying to do to uh, uh, be successful uh, in rural New Brunswick. So thank you so much for joining us today. Maybe something I forgot to add is the, the community is very much supporting us. Mm. We're part of the community. And uh, I was I was going to mention it earlier and I forgot. Slipped my mind. I talked talk too much maybe, but uh, we're very uh, supportive of our, the community. But they're also supporting us a lot, and that's what I wanted to finish with. Well, I appreciate that because it is again they're so important. The local municipal governments are so important to the success of industries, particularly industries that are natural resources based like yours. So. Thanks for, thanks for uh, um, mentioning that. And so, again, thank you so much for joining us today. We, uh, we wish you all the best in your future endeavors.
You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week.